5: what up? Welcome in. Doug Gottlieb Show, special Monday edition. Some of you, some people have today off, not us. We're working. Want to talk about the Astros? Do so in a second. All-star game, done contest. Rick Bucher joins us. Uh, Sam Vecini joins us. we we'll a little college, a little pro, little John B line as well, plus John Paul Morosi on all the issues in baseball. But let's start with a controversy that won't go away from Major League Baseball, the Houston Astros. Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show. Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you today from sunny, fairly warm for this time of year, New York City. Welcome in. I hope you had a great weekend to all of our affiliates nationwide and some that pick us up here on a vacation day for many. Thank you so much for making us part of your day. Um, every day on the Doug Gottlieb Show, we do we do a three-hour show live. You can also download the podcast. You can hear individual uh, interviews. You can hear the entire show we also have the All Ball podcast, a really good one coming up this week. Just type in All Ball wherever you download podcast. That's on the Herd Podcast Network. We got a bunch to get to. Um, I have some thoughts on last night's All-Star game. And while I believe the ending, the Elam ending as it's called, played a role in helping out the game, it wasn't the only reason that that All-Star game was more watchable. Uh, truth be told, that's the first time I've watched an All-Star game in... Maybe 20 years. And um, first half was about what I expected. Fourth quarter, though, was pretty competitive. I I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Had a little bit of everything. Um, Sam Vecini is going to join us. We'll talk some college basketball as well. John Paul Morosi will join us. Major League Baseball insider from Fox Sports. And Rick Bucher will be our guest. We got good guests. Let's get to what I still think is the topic of the day, which is Major League Baseball's handling of the Astros' uh, sign-stealing controversy sign stealing uh, scandal there we go that's the word i'm looking for and i you know i i've i've said this about players in other sports and it doesn't just mean what on the surface you think it means like i believe when you listen to my show i'll say you can't fool players what that means is if a guy can't coach you If you ask the players or you check their reactions when things don't go well, like you can tell they don't they know when somebody doesn't know what they're doing. If the guy's not prepared, they know. Other players aren't good enough. they'll tell you based upon their reactions, some of the things they say, they may not be outwardly negative, but they won't be positive about something they don't believe in. That's just the way they'll do it. I think the same is true with this scandal if you will when the when the findings were released when the punishment came down at least for the Houston Astros i said at the time well that's odd that the players didn't get punished at all um here's rob manfred because after they've come out with the findings after they've come out with the punishment there have been very few if anyone that's come out and said you know that was that was about right it's about right and take a listen to what rob manfred had to say to espn in regards to their investigation and and why they didn't punish players
3: the single biggest challenge in the investigation you need someone to cooperate with you um is someone to give you factual information and um, the challenge here is everybody who knew the real facts about what were going on were kind of within that cone of silence in the dugout and the clubhouse.
1: In hindsight, was there any other way to go about this without blanket immunity that would allow you to punish certain
3: players? You could have made the choice to go with the management people and sort of given them immunity and found out how the players were involved. Whatever dissatisfaction is out there with the grant of immunity to players, I think it would have been 10 times worse if you let the management people off and then tried to go after the players. Uh, Okay.
5: Or you could leverage a punishment against them and make them talk, right? Like, if you don't talk, we are going to punish you more severely. This is terrible negotiation. The only way to get you to talk, which, by the way, goes headlong into any idea that the Astros had any sort of remorse and to give blanket immunity is also like look we'll give immunity to somebody who spills the beans not the people who don't nonetheless I don't my reaction is man I thought they should have done something to the players I thought they should have had symbolic gesture and have an asterisk they chose not to huh? I wonder how Major League Baseball players feel about it my initial thought was my belief would be like every other scandal in major league baseball players will have, you have to read between the lines in what players are saying. You haven't had to read between any lines. Major league baseball's Players association is as strong as a union as there is of any union in the country. They bind together. And I think there's going to be a work stoppage with this current collective bargaining agreement. Cause they don't feel like the last Union representation did a good enough job and Major League Baseball got over on them. They will strike. They will be steadfast. They will hold out. They will do everything in their power to make sure they get better deals for their rank and file as well as for their superstars. That's why they have the best contracts. Because they're willing to sacrifice the World Series, which is what they've done. Oh, World Series, where you make the most money? We're not going to play in it. And it has worked for them time and again, with the exception of the last negotiation, which they just signed in order to prevent a work stoppage. Mistake. But you can't fool players. Mike Trout, and full disclosure, uh, I'm an Angel fan. Rye Music, my producer, is an Angel fan. And we've searched far and wide to find anything interesting at all that Mike Trout has said during his seven plus years of brilliance in Anaheim. He's been the best player or the second best player in the sport for nearly a decade, and he has yet to utter anything in any way seen as controversial, let alone interesting. Here's Mike Trout on the punishment, or lack thereof, to the Astros players. I don't agree
0: with uh, the punishments. You know, the player's not uh, you know getting anything. You know, there was a player-driven, you know, thing. It sucks, too, because... Like you said, a guy's
5: career has been affected. Uh, a lot of people you know, lost jobs. It's, it's, uh, it was tough. That was amazing, right? Like Mike Trout, and he went on and on, and he would say, it's tough, it's tough, which means this is really hard to say. I don't want to say anything negative, but man, I'm ticked off. Here's Justin Turner of the Dodgers, who the Astros beat in the World Series, responding to Rob Manfred calling the World Series just a piece of metal.
4: For him to devalue it the way he did yesterday is is just tells me how out of touch he is with with the players
3: in this game, and you know at this point the only thing devaluing that trophy is that it says commissioner on it.
5: Ooh, ooh, the knives have come out, have they not? I mean, the knives have come thoroughly out when Justin Turner is calling out the commissioner. I, I I think if you look at the bigger quote from Rob Manfred he was talking about whether or not a symbolic gesture of taking back a trophy or putting an asterisk was actually doing anything. Uh, I do think that some of that's being taken out of context, but when he used just a piece of metal, you you knew that that was going to get cut up, fed to the players and they were going to eat it. My, my point is only this. Sometimes these controversies are made up by the media in real sports. Players talk trash, Right. In real sports, the whole guaranteed thing, it's something in the media. It's not in real life because every athlete walks into a field of play, especially at the professional level, and they think they're going to win the game. Otherwise, they wouldn't be where they are as athletes. But the media can make up a good controversy and can stir it up for a while. This is not a media made up controversy. This is not the media running around with one quote. This is player after player, star after star saying, this is not right. They're not getting punished. Why would they ever change their behavior if this is all that happens after they, by their estimate, steal the World Series? You can't fool players. They know their own game. They police their own game. And they usually never speak out against their own, and they are in this case. Which translates into this. They're ticked. They maybe didn't like the Astros before, didn't like their arrogance Or when they were accused of cheating, they would clap back at others. And now they've got them. They're really unhappy. So much so that for the first time in baseball history, union members are going after union members. Because of any sort of rule, uh, written or unwritten, being violated by the team. Doug Gottlieb Show rolls on here on Fox Sports Radio. You know, it's one of those deals. As soon as Rob Manfred gave them immunity, everything really went downhill. That's, that's really kind of what happened. You know? And, and I even think not punishing the players, that was, you know, he should have held it under further review. This, I said it at the time, I said it on TV, it reminds me of when Roger Goodell gave a two-game suspension to Ray Rice at the time, Roger Goodell was like, look, this is the longest suspension we've ever given to anybody. And he wasn't, he actually went to a pretrial diversionary hearing. He was never even actually charged with a crime. And we gave him two games. But because they had laid down a punishment that was seemed, seeming to be too short, all of a sudden now, okay, well, now it's six games. Then it's indefinitely. And they came up with a whole new policy. When you miss, if you miss short, this is what happens.
0: Terms and
5: conditions apply. Doug Gottlieb show, Fox Sports Radio. So, I generally like the All-Star Game, you know? Like, it was, it was better than other All-Star Games had been. You know, just, there's some things that used to be really good when we were kids, or we had some image of them being really good. Uh, I think award shows were one of them. Then when you get older, you're like, I don't know any of these acts that are performing at the Grammys. I think, like, award shows feel like they're played out. All-Star Games feel like they're played out. Right? Um, even some holidays feel like they're just overdone now. I, I, I felt like the All-Star game last night was better, and everybody's pointing to the rules, and the Elam ending made it cool. You know, They take who's ever leading, add 24 points, and that's the and it, it became like a really competitive pickup game. And it was fun. Fourth quarters are generally pretty good in all-Star games anyway. It was still not perfect. But I don't think it's only about the ending. I think there's a bunch of factors. I would also conclude that some of it is the, hey, this is the first All-Star game since Kobe Bryant passed. You know, half the players, one team's wearing 24, the other one's wearing two for his daughter, Gigi. And, and Kobe Bryant embodied this kind of spirit of, hey, play hard every single time. right? That's the part of the Mamba mentality was, like he went hard at a higher percentage than most of his contemporaries, most stars at both ends. I don't think he brought it every night, but a higher percentage of times he brought it. And I, I think it's a good spirit to leave. It's a great spirit to leave to any sport, especially basketball. And I think that was at least a portion of why you got such supreme effort. Additionally, look, there's guys kind of fighting over the conch. You know that, that you have, LeBron is still the face of the league, but he's not the best player. He's clearly not close to being the best player in the NBA. That that would go to um, Giannis. That could possibly go to Kawhi. I think Kawhi is the actually the better player. You know, you have James Harden, who's you know continuing to feel himself. He's been an MVP. He's led the league in scoring. He's led the league in assists. You know, you have uh, Anthony Davis, who's becoming what we thought to be a superstar, like the go-to guy for the Lakers, you have all these guys, and there's no Steph, no Clay, no KD, no Kyrie. You have all these guys kind of fighting over the conch, if you will, to be the next guy. I think those three things all came together and, and gave us a really good All-Star game. By All-Star game standards, that was super competitive in the fourth quarter. Was it the best game ever? No, but it, it gave us some real basketball, um, it gave us flops, charges, interesting dynamics, trying to see who wants to take and doesn't want to take the last second shot. The whole thing was fascinating to me.
2: Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern noon Pacific.
5: Doug Gottlieb show Fox sports radio, Sam Bassini joins us. He covers the NBA and college basketball for the athletic kind of to spend some time with us here on president's day. Uh, Sam, the... are you do you watch every all-star game
8: i don't like honestly i watched the all-star game this morning i didn't even watch it last night like i was not uh the person who felt the need to watch it live and what'd you think i i liked it more i'll say that like i'm a proponent of the Elam ending i thought that it worked out about as well as it possibly could have you know hoped for but nonetheless uh, i do think that you know we might be overreacting a little bit to that you know specific endings role on the competitiveness because at the end of the day i think the competitiveness just comes down to players involved more than uh the structural rule changes
5: yeah i, I think it was that i i think I, I just offered up three reasons right for the kind of the perfect storm i think the elam ending was different and gave us a little something yeah um and there's been a lot of criticism I, I didn't add this. a lot of criticism of all-star games in the past i think guys are trying to fight to be who's the next guy right like like LeBron is still here and still uh, may, maybe the most valuable player. He's not the best player in the league. can't take over every night like he used to. And I think he got some other guys who are kind of fighting over that crown. I think that played into it. And I think there's at least a a portion of why they played hard is the the whole Kobe thing is, you know, Kobe was all about trying to you know, trying to win, trying to kick the other guy's ass every night. Is it, is it possible those other two reasons played in at least some sort of small factor?
8: I think so, and I think another one is the Giannis factor, right? Like, a lot of, uh, I think, the competitiveness of that fourth quarter came down to him, like, really deciding to lock in on defense, right? Because Giannis takes everything pretty seriously right now. And it's exactly as you said, I think that he wants to establish himself as the next guy. And he's the kind of person, I mean, you talk to folks around the NBA, folks around Bucks, like they'll just straight up tell you that, you know, he's just an alien in terms of how good of a human being he is and how uh, seriously he takes his opportunities. And I think that uh, him being a captain and him really setting the tone for, uh, you know, how hard his team was going to play. I think that played a huge role in how all of this was going to work out.
5: Sam Vecini joining us in the Doug Gottlieb show on Fox Sports Radio. Um, who's the favorite in the East? Is it definitely the Bucks?
8: I do. I think it's definitely the Bucks. I mean, it's hard to get past the fact that they're on pace for like 70 wins and, you know, plus 10 net differential rating. Like, I can't remember a team that... You know, and we had one star like they do because, you know, we can talk about Chris Middleton. and I really like Chris Middleton as a player, but, you know, they have one star. But this team has been remarkably successful in building around that one star. And, you know, I think that they've done well enough to try and mitigate what could be the Eric Bledsoe issue that we've seen the last couple of years in the playoffs. And uh, we'll see where it goes, uh, you know. Dante DiVincenzo has been much better this season. George Hill's been great this season and uh, they only need so much from that position. Whenever you're talking about having, you know, the guy who in my opinion is the best player in the NBA right now.
5: Sam Vecini joining us from the athletic covering both the NBA and, and college basketball. Let's go to the West. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Frank Vogel offered up DeMarcus Cousins, you know, is on track to be ready for the playoffs. Like, why do they need DeMarcus the Cousins, who's coming off an Achilles and a torn knee?
8: Well, I don't know why you denounce that more than anything, because you're kind of just setting it up for failure almost, right? Because like Dwight Howard's been really useful and really good. And JaVale McGee, for you know the flaws in terms of some of the goofiness and positioning, has been really useful for them. And what they need above all is someone who can protect the rim defensively. Because you know, in my mind, this is a defense-first team under Frank Vogel, and you know, having that big guy inside is such a critical part of his defense. As you look at you know the teams where he's been most successful, it's been this Lakers team that always has a true center inside, and you know those Pacers teams that had Roy Hibbert whenever he was dominating inside and being able to shut down the paint. So. I don't really know why he would do that. I don't really even see Cousins as you know a guy that would be particularly successful in that scheme. So yeah, it was weird to me that he just kind of offered that up. I agree with you.
5: Who's the who's the favorite in your mind? Clippers or Lakers? Who you like better?
8: I like the Clippers because they can match the star power, and I think they have the kind of lineup versatility to where they can cause all of the teams in the West problems. They can go super small. Where they play Montrez, Harrell and uh, Kawhi and Paul George with a pair of guards, they can go Marcus Morris at the five if they want to. Uh, you know, they can go super big with guys like Zubats and Marcus Morris. You know, next to Kawhi and Paul George, it just creates a lot of different lineup problems. I think.
5: Sam Vecini joining us, Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. Uh, can Houston be comp- being completely committed to small ball? Can they beat one of those two teams in a series?
8: I think the Clippers are uniquely uh, suited to cause issues for them because of what I just kind of stated, right? In terms of the lineup versatility, they can go super small and just out-talent them, right? But the Lakers, you know, a lot of what they do is predicated upon being able to play big and a lot of what Houston does, and I think we saw that in the first Houston Lakers game immediately after the trade, I think they can actually cause some matchup problems for the Lakers in a way that, you know, that's going to be a more competitive series if those two teams play. Than what i think people anticipate
5: i agree with you um and i think the lakers there's a reason that they that they opine to get darren collison out of retirement like their lack of a of a starting caliber point guard if if anything's going to bring them down that feels like what brings them down
8: yeah definitely i mean Rajon rondo has not been good enough this year like there are multiple games here where they're closing with alex caruso and you know god love alex caruso he's established himself as an nba player but you know, you should not feel great about closing a you know Western Conference semifinals game where you're in your final final eight teams in the league with Alex Caruso out there in the final minutes. It's you know it's it's tough I think for them to uh, try and establish what they need from a guard position. Uh, whenever that's just the case. Like they need someone who can be a secondary ball handler and who can shoot and who can defend and who can do a lot of different things. And Darren Collison can do those things. And uh, I would still be trying as hard as I could to convince him to come out.
5: How fixable are the Sixers?
8: Oh man, that's a million dollar question in the East because I think that's the team that causes Milwaukee the most problems, right? Because they have Al Horford, they have uh, Joel Embiid, they have Ben Simmons. They have so many guys that they can throw at Giannis to at least slow him down. Right? So Oh, man, that's the team I'm most excited to watch in the second half, just because if they can figure out the offense at all, and I think that getting guys like Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson will help because I think it'll just kind of balance out the roster a little bit more. Like, if they need to sit out Horford in certain matchups late in games, if they need to sit even, you know, someone like Tobias Harris or, you know, God forbid Joel Embiid if a team goes super small and you play offense-defense with Joel like, I think that that's the kind of stuff that helps them mitigate those factors. And you know, getting another creator in Alec Burks certainly helps because I think that's what they need. So I think that they can figure it out, but I don't think that they can figure it out to the point where they're a real title contender this year, unfortunately.
5: Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. If you had to bet all of your salary, of who's going to be the number one pick in the draft? Who would it be?
8: Uh, pass. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like... I don't. I don't feel great about any of this, and I feel like I talk to executives about it every day. Like uh, I, I guess I would say Anthony Edwards because I think that there's going to be some uncertainty out there about wanting to deal with Lamelo Ball and wanting to deal with Var Ball, and you know everything that comes with that, and just you know how good is Lamelo Ball after coming over from Australia? How able is he to deal with the contact that you see across the NBA? just The physicality. Uh, James Wiseman certainly has his concerns that out to tell you about in terms of uh does he bring it every night does he bring it on a possession by possession basis um you know there are guys that step up like obi toppin and uh you you can go up and down the list here of my mock draft and you can see that there are some guys that are interesting but i don't know if i don't know if there's a number one pick out there that i would feel good about even going in like the top four or five of last season's draft
5: but what don't you like about cole anthony
8: I actually do like Cole Anthony quite a bit. Like I think I'm higher on Cole than what most people are. But I think that you know what what we're seeing from Cole this year is him being surrounded by a lack of talent, and we're seeing the fact that he can get a little bit ball dominant and a little bit. I don't want to use the word selfish because I feel it's a little bit unfair, but he does tend to pound the ball and does tend to try to do too much whenever he's not surrounded by kids. Like you've been to camps like I have where you've seen Cole play with good players and he's a lot more unselfish. He's, you know, a pick and roll ball handler that will uh, actually find teammates and do well uh, playing with others. But this year it just hasn't been good enough from him in that regard. And I think that uh, there will be questions about that until he can go out and prove in the NBA, essentially, I think it's going to have to be that, uh, you know, he can play well with others whenever he has good teammates around.
5: John Beeline, it was odd to me when he decided to go to the NBA, but you know, like, look, you're in your late sixties, you want to get one last paycheck, you want to take a shot. Why do you think the level of frustration is so high? He wouldn't even make it through the first year.
8: Well, I think that he's entering what was probably the worst situation in the league, like, you know, this season, dealing with this Cleveland Cavaliers roster that has, you know, very, very little in terms of defense outside of Tristan Thompson. It has two ball dominant ball handlers in the backcourt that are in their first and second year in Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. And those guys I think are still trying to establish themselves as real players across the NBA. And, uh, you know, that stuff's a recipe for disaster. And, you know, I think part of it's on John too. This is, uh, to me, he's never been the first guy that would come to mind to make the jump from college to the NBA, because, you know, you hear the stories I do too, that he's a guy that likes to have his fingers in every single part Of every single play, right? Like he wants to call most sets coming down the floor, and that's just not what most NBA coaches do. And he wants to have his own terminology, and that's just not what NBA coaches do. And, you know, the lack of practice time in the NBA makes it more difficult to implement this stuff. Like I remember talking to, uh, I think it might have been Luke Bonner about, you know, what happened with him. And, you know, he said it took a couple of years for the John Beeline stuff and the uh, language and the terminology to really soak in. Uh, to his team, so uh, that kind of stuff I think always makes for a difficult transition, and uh, it just never made total sense to me that this is the road that Beeline wanted to go down to essentially end his career.
5: Yeah, uh... He, this is from Adrian Wojnarowski. He just he tweeted this 16 hours ago. I thought this was Beeline left for All Star break, weighing his future, including the possibility he's coached his final game. League sources tell he told ESPN he's yet to make a yet to convey a decision but there's been conversations with management about the option of a prompt exit. You don't start talking about that stuff unless you're gone. Do you think he coaches in college again, 67 years old?
8: So yeah, that's the thing that I've kind of been asking around about. Like, do we think that John has something, you know, maybe not totally set up but has a couple options out there that he feels pretty good about? right? And that's why you make this move now versus waiting until April to make this move, right? And, you know, no one has said no to that. And I do think part of it is, like, he's just not having fun. And, you know, this might not be the way that he wants to close out his career. But I would not be surprised at all to see John Beline coaching college basketball next year. Like, you look at, uh, for instance, there's a job in Texas that looks like it's going to open if Chaka Smart doesn't turn things around substantially uh, with Texas Longhorns here in the last little bit. Like, you know, if you're Texas and you can go out and you can get John Beeline, he's had the level of success.
5: I, I, I don't like it. I don't like it. You don't it.
8: like it. Why not?
5: I think he's a great coach. I just, I don't, I don't think he's Texas. Yeah. I think he's I Michigan. Think that's and I don't totally think he's reasonable. Texas. I think, don't totally think he's totally
8: reasonable. Texas. The reason I say that that's reasonable is just because I don't know that he's ever recruited Texas and Texas recruiting can get uh, a little bit, you know, murky uh, sometimes. So, I, I will be interested to see if that's the route they go down. Like I would imagine their first call is Chris Beard, but you know, if you can get a coach, the caliber of John B line, or, or I mean like what jobs do you see out there? That you know, I don't think I, I, that's Beeline. what's
5: weird. I don't know. You know, uh, I went on with Dockage today. He, he says, if you're Indiana fire, everybody and hire him. Um, I would say the, the, the issue he'd would run into at a place like Texas is it's not just the recruiting. It's, it's the, He's gonna go, he'd go to a place where he's fish out of water in terms of friends, style. Everybody would respect him, but Texas. One of the things that Texas does recruiting is always you know it's the ability to be make you a pro, right? And a guy who couldn't cut it six months in the pros is not going to generate the same level of interest uh, as a bunch of other uh, options out there. And whereas Beard feels like Texas now, he may stay at Texas Tech, but you got it. You can't. You can't go from a guy who, you know, Shaka was kind of a bad fit in terms of he's not Texas to a 67 yeah. a, a year old professor who's a brilliant coach, but also not Texas. Like they got to get somebody who can at least fake it like he's a Texas guy. And that, that to me is not John Beeline.
8: Yeah. I mean, the guy that I think makes the most sense personally is Kelvin Sampson. You go and hire him from Houston, but you know, similar deal to Beeline where he's a little bit older, but you know, he probably fits a little bit better in terms of texas and uh you know he's proven over the course of these last few years at houston that you know he's capable of doing an incredible job and navigating the recruiting waters in texas so and that's if beard turns it down and if i'm chris beard i mean i think i probably am okay with where i'm at at texas tech like i feel like i've established that i can create a winner anywhere i want and i don't really want i guess like i don't see the reason for him to go into the pressure that is
5: texas You know, I I would say here would be my reason why I think he'd do it. I think that beard knows at the end of the day, beard knows like you got to have dudes no matter how good a coach you are to kind of get you over the top. And he's been very fortunate. He's had two pros the last two years that have nearly one nearly took him home to a national championship. And I, I, it's just, it's harder to do at Texas tech. I saw, I hung out with him after the Kentucky game and, um, and uh and and, you know we're sitting there watching tape and he's like how many of my guys are playing the nba none of them how many of their guys will and this is a down kentucky team three of them maybe four and that's just that's a hard battle to fight when you get to the very top level of the sport
8: i mean it's crazy like i would say he's gonna have two kids that play in the nba eventually and jamias ramsey and yeah he's got one yeah 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 like and like shannon i think is probably a couple years away like he's certainly not a 2020 kid but you know, I like, I think that these two kids are really good and I think that he's proving that he can find a way to recruit uh, you know, against Texas in some ways. But you're right, the uh no one's gonna argue that the amenities at Texas are uh worse than what he can offer at Texas Tech, and if he's already getting these kids at Texas Tech, he's almost certainly gonna get them to Texas. Uh you know, it's he feels like a Lubbock guy to me though too. Like uh you know, he he fits that kind of mentality in Lubbock just almost better yep. than he would in Austin, which is like a pretty progressive city.
5: Yeah. Now, um, I'm i with you. There's a, It's going to be interesting. In the meantime, Sam, great stuff. Love your work on in The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter as well. Sam Vicini. he works for The Athletic. He does a great job of covering both uh, college and the NBA. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Anytime, Doug. Pleasure's all mine. Doug Gottlieb, show rolls on here on Fox Sports Radio. Um, coming up next... A former teammate knows where Philip Rivers will play next season. Real news or fake news? Find out next.
2: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
6: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming!
10: Oh. This
2: is Game Time.
10: It's Game Time.
2: On the Doug Gottlieb Show.
10: Ralph Irvin, what's the game today? Well, today we are playing...
2: Big deal, little deal, no deal.
10: And so I'll ask you, big deal, little deal, or no deal. Melvin Gordon told CBS Sports this about his former teammate, Philip Rivers. I think he'd
7: go to the Colts. That's just my thought, just because he has Nick there as the offensive coordinator. He came from here we have history with the head coach as well. So it'll be an easy plug in, you know, I think that's probably the best fit.
5: I love how you said we, I mean, obviously Frank Reich was running their offense a couple years back. Um, but I also think that Melvin Gordon's just guessing. So I'll say that's a little deal. It, it's a, it's a correlation. We all have talked about. We believe it makes sense. You know, I don't, Know how much it—it it didn't seem like, and what I've been led to believe, it doesn't feel like he and Philip are in cahoots, and they've been discussing this together. But I do think that it—it it makes some—it it makes logical sense to go somewhere with a guy you've already worked with, who needs a quarterback, who has a better offensive
10: line, and—and uh, and plays indoors. All right. is it a big deal, little deal, or no deal that Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin told First Take This about the Mason Rudolph-Miles Garrett situation?
2: These accusations are serious, uh, not only in terms of Mason Rudolph's character, but uh, his professional pursuits. Nobody on that field as a member of the Cleveland Browns or the Pittsburgh Steelers corroborated what was said by Miles Garrett. That was founded by us and the National Football League, and at no point during that piece this weekend, that was Stated.
5: I did think it was stated during the piece. meena Mina Kimes did mention that the NFL uh did not find an, anything, whatever. But the, the point is is, is this is the one that I've made, which is Miles Garrett doubling down on this. Like, I think you're I thought you're lying the first time. I I don't think that doubling down on it makes you not lying. I just there's there's no reason to believe any of this outside of if you think that Mason Rudolph is suddenly a racist when no one has ever accused him of being such previously. So, uh, by the way, it was just retweeted by Mason Rudolph, leader of men. I do think it matters that, that his head coach who is African American, the most prominent current African American head coach in the NFL has his back would lead me to believe that he doesn't think Mason Rudolph said it. Cause if he did, I would guess he's distancing, he distanced himself from it. So, I, I just think it's a bad look for Miles Garrett, who got a reprieve and got his suspension essentially lifted.
10: Well, speaking of Mike Tomlin, big deal, little deal, no deal, that he also said this about quarterback Ben Roethlisberger, quote, I have no hesitation, end quote, on Big Ben being ready for opening day. I mean, what's he supposed to say?
5: Uh, I'd say it's a little deal. Just because Big Ben hasn't yet thrown a real football yet, Till he throws a real football, we don't know how his elbow is going to react. but. You know, he did have Tommy John surgery. We haven't seen a quarterback come back from Tommy John surgery. Let's just wait and see.
10: Big deal, little deal, or no deal. According to the Miami Herald, the Dolphins are reportedly concerned about Tua Tonga-Vailoa's long-term durability, and so they're being drawn towards Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert. Feels like a big deal
5: because, by all estimations, Tua Tonga-Vailoa was the apple of their eye for a long time. Justin Herbert looks the part. But a lot of people think there's something missing i just look he too has been hurt a bunch we talked about it with him at the super bowl it's unavoidable that discussion that he's been hurt a bunch and the question is is he hurt because he breaks down or is he hurt because he gets caught in college because he's not as athletic as he thinks he is and he's gonna be even less athletic in the nfl i think it's more the latter than the former and i think that's a big deal <laughs>
2: Game, huh? Game time. This is game time on the Doug Gottlieb Show.
5: Did you watch the dunk contest? Music, did you watch dunk contest? I sure did. Did you think Aaron Gordon got robbed?
4: <laughs> I absolutely did.
5: Yeah, I thought he should have won, or I thought, I mean, I thought Derek Jones was amazing too. It's really hard to tell. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I've always had this problem. There's a couple of different deals in um in sports that i think there is a correlation i'll fix the dunk contest and fix some other situations where scoring is just off that's next the doug gottlieb show
2: be sure to catch the live edition of the doug gottlieb show weekdays at 3 p.m eastern noon pacific on fox sports radio and the iheart radio app
6: there's no distance too far for the perfect trip hi checking in for or the perfect table
0: Terms and conditions apply.
5: What up, Doug Gottlieb Show? Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you today from New York City. Beautiful day in New York City. What's the weather like in uh, Southern California there? um, Music I've heard quite lovely.
4: Oh, it is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. What's that mean? Well, we are currently looking at 66 and sunny in Sherman Oaks.
5: That's not bad. It's not bad. It's uh 51 and sunny in Manhattan, so it's not bad, right? That's these are these are good temperatures to have.
4: Yeah, I would say for February 17th in New York, it's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's,
5: spe- it's yeah. spectacular. Right. I mean, really 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 nice. Um supposed to cool down a little bit here in New York, get into the get into the high 30s later on in the week. Uh but I'll be on my way back Thursday night and uh get to host the uh cow herd on Friday. In the meantime, you can check me out in the mornings on first things first, just for this week. Only Ryan music is the esteemed producer. I'm Doug Gottlieb. Ralph Irvin, uh, giving us our updates is, uh, both Ramos is off as is Dan Byer. I'm the only we, me and music, the only dopes that choose to work on a holiday, although no traffic in or out on a holiday. So maybe they're the dopes. And we use the, we pocket these days for other days. Last night, uh, excuse me, Saturday night was the dunk contest and it did look like Aaron Gordon was the better dunker? Now there was, as Ralph has pointed out, the Daytona Five Hundred is um, is is about to start, and there's a little of NASCAR into what happened in the dunk contest. Aaron Gordon was better for the whole dunk contest. Like if you took all the dunks combined, I don't think it was actually, I don't think he was actually even close in terms of who was better. Um, but it, when it comes down to the last dunk. I thought Derek Jones's was good. I thought his dunk was good. You, know, you try and jump over a guy who's 7 feet 12, and you, you land on his neck a little bit, and he dunks his, ducks his head. It may not look as impressive as the reality actually is. So I, I'm not sure I totally disagree with the outcome in that. If you just take it with that dunk, and you want to say Derek Jones's was a slightly better, I'm okay with it. Apparently... The judges supposedly concocted a plan to uh, I'll end up even and maybe either somebody didn't tell Dwayne Wade or he wanted his boy Derek Jones to win the thing. Regardless, it was weird. Here's Aaron Gordon, what he told uh, ESPN about losing the dunk contest again.
7: I still have two trophies. I still feel like I'm
9: one of the best, if not the best dunker in the world. So I still feel that. The third time was a charm. Uh, I thought I did what I needed to do to win and um, I don't think I'm gonna do it again.
5: Well, one thing is, it is hard to get over when guys miss dunks. It just—it's mentally difficult to get over when a guy misses a dunk. Whether you're going to penalize a guy or not penalize the guy when he's had some opportunities, um, I just say this: look, I the the first thing, and this doesn't necessarily, this doesn't necessarily equate to Aaron Gordon's dunks or Derek Jones's dunks, but a little bit. A 50 has to be reserved for like one of the great dunks of all time. So that means a 10 has to be the absolute best dunk. What it also means, though, is that if you're not going to give 10s, you're going to have to give sixes and sevens. And here we are in professional sports where a guy gets a Madden rating he doesn't like and he lets EA Sports have it. Imagine if he doesn't get a dunk rating of a nine or a ten, which the the expectations are. They're all nine and tens, and they're not all nines and tens. You know, look, compared to me and you, they're they're dunks we could never do. But when you compare them to all the other dunks, I almost feel like there's there's a couple different ways to go about it. Either one, stop giving nines or tens. Right. Two, get a Simon Cowell like me on that on that dais. I, I was that was terrible. That dunk was terrible. It may have, people may have liked it, but let me tell you what it lacked. Creativity, explosiveness, and any sort of meaning. And here's, here's the third possible idea. Did you guys watch the dog show last week? Music, did you watch the Westminster dog show?
4: I did not, Doug. Do
5: you know how dog show, um, how, how that goes?
4: Can't say that I honestly know anything about how it is scored.
5: I don't know how it scores either, but you know what? No one knows how it's scored. What they do is they have each dog come in and they check its teeth and they take, and there's one judge and the other judge like runs it and runs them around and they, you know, they see them all and they go through all the different dogs, you know, 12, 15 dogs and they're all lined up and they're all sitting there and they're wagging their tails and they're sitting straight and she just, or he just points you, 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 and there's your places. No rhyme or reason is given. Nothing. I just decided that's the best. That's the way to do it. Hey, y'all get five dunks. And our judge is going to tell you who the best is. We could do the running tally stuff, but when we do the running score, it can't all be nines and tens. Or you have a legit panel and you add me to that panel where I'm going to give you the honest, that was terrible. What kind of effort was that? All right, which, which one would you think is, is the best fit, Ryan, for for the dunk
4: hunt? Well, Doug, uh, you know, I, mean, I you think... have.
5: I mean, honestly, you can have Barkley there.
4: But right. Like,
5: I, I almost think, like, the, the former players, they don't want to crush other players because so they know how hard what they're doing is. But no one's saying, like, this is important thing. No one's saying that dunking a basketball and doing all these dunks isn't hard, but we're judging the best of the best of the best, of the best against the best of the best, not against the regular dunk.
4: Right, and I so I would say as great as I think you are as an individual, um I am not going to go with making you the sole judge, but I do like the idea of having them all dunk and then once that's over with, you just rank the dunks thereafter and you know, whether you want to give it a numerical value or you just give them poll positions on that was the best dunk, that was second best dunk, that was third best dunk. I do think that that's the best way to go about judging them after the fact because the problem is exactly as you said is you may watch one of the dunks and be like wow I've, I was impressed that's a 10 out of 10 but then when Aaron Gordon catches a ball off of the side of the backboard does a 360 in the air catches it with one hand and slams it down you're like okay no actually that one was a 10 which means the one that came before it is probably more like an eight and a half so I think you need to see all of the dunks happen and then make your judgments after that cuz that's all you're really grading is how they compare to one another not just as individuals
5: agree no you, look you and i completely agree on this and that that, that is the problem right you don't have you, you don't have uh uh you you don't have all the information when you're judging it
4: yeah i mean and like look it i it makes sense i i get that it it's all star weekend More or less, like, look, it's a dunk contest. We're here to have fun. They're here to entertain the fans and everything. So it's really tough to be the guy who they say, come be one of our judges. And then everyone else is handing out eights and nines. And then you got to be the one guy to be like, hey, you know, I hate to be the one to say that this was just, you know, a six. But I think if you just change the scoring altogether, it sort of lends everyone to feeling more open to not having to be like, well, I'm the bad guy or I have to be the downer on what's supposed to be a fun situation for everyone.
5: I I also think um, Chris Broussard suggested this. He's like, look, why don't you just add decimal points so that it's, you know, which is a nice way, nicer way of doing what I suggested. I suggested, you know, giving sixes and sevens and fives, whatever he's like, you know, Because that way, if you gave a 9 as opposed to a
4: 9.8, it would be different. I guess that works. I mean, I, I suppose it'll give you a more exact score to avoid this whole tie situation that they ended up in. My problem with that, that is, is you still end up with the problem that is someone dunking You think that that's a 9.5, and then someone then trumps that dunk, and you're like, well, I guess I'll give him a 10, and then maybe the third person actually has the best dunk, and now you're like, well, I've already given a 10, so now what what am I supposed to do? Whereas I think what we've also discussed, which is a better situation, is let everyone dunk. And then while they're making their decisions, you can have them sort of deliberate for, I don't know, give them three minutes to talk it over. You just play highlights of the different dunks that have already happened, and then they announce one winner at the end.
5: Mm, I like that. that. That's interesting. It's a different way of doing it. Um, or we can just not take it that seriously and just go, hey, it's a dunk contest. It's going to be flawed anyway.
4: Hey, right? no, I mean, that's true. I guess it's just that in this particular situation, you do feel... I feel kind of bad for someone like Aaron Gordon because I'm like, you You look at the dunks that he's done in the two years that he's competed and you're like, it's kind of incredible that that guy somehow ended up not winning the dunk contest. And he has two of the more creative and athletic dunks that we've really seen over the past however many years.
5: Mm-hmm. Doug Gottlieb show here on Fox Sports Radio. Alright, coming up next. Um, oh Man, this is this is like, we're going to have to do like a a 30 for 30. What happened to John Beeline? He may have coached his final NBA game and we're at the midway point or slightly past the midway point in his first season in the NBA.
2: Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb show weekdays at 3 PM. Eastern noon Pacific on Fox sports radio and the iHeartRadio radio app.
6: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for,
0: terms and conditions apply.
5: Doug Gottlieb show Fox Sports Radio Major League Baseball insider John Paul Morosi in about 10 minutes with the latest on this uh, Astros sign stealing scandal that will not go away no matter how much baseball wants it to go away. This from uh, Woj. The Cleveland Cavaliers and John Beeline have discussed the possibility of the coach stepping down before the end of All-Star break, Beeline was expected to reach a decision in the next 24 to 48 hours, league source told ESPN. Beeline is expected to speak to uh, Kobe Altman, that's the young general manager of the Cavs, about his future as soon as today, league sources said, like, look, this thing is over. It's just a question of when, right? This is the marriage, which is, this is the short marriage. There was like, you know, I don't really know. I don't think... He's old, she's young. What will they even possibly talk about? I don't know. Does it make sense? Turns out it didn't make sense, right? <clears throat> John Beeline at this point in time, marrying the N- an NBA with the Cleveland Cavaliers. That is, <clears throat> that's, I, I've I always heard these guys, they're like, you know, your second marriage, you, you cut your age in half and you had five. All right, well, I'm 44 I don't have anything in the world to discuss with a 27 year old woman. And she definitely doesn't have anything to discuss with me. Right. I just doesn't. It sound it's, well, it sounds like for your ego, you're like, wow, she's young and she's, yeah, but like, that's only a portion of it. That's the same thing as beeline. You know, he's, he's to the point to where he's always done things his way. He never been an assistant coach. He's no NBA uh, background, and even the staff he hired, he didn't hire a staff full of NBA guys to help him, you know, become an NBA coach. He hired a bunch of people he knew. I mean, this is Beeline. This is old dog trying to teach him new tricks, and it was a surprise to most all people that he would leave like. It's not, it wouldn't be surprised if Bill Self left. It wouldn't be surprised if John Calipari left. I don't think either do, but it wouldn't be surprised because those guys, they have a greater way of relating with a younger generation and the style of player that they coach and recruit are the same style of player that are playing in the NBA. That That's not beeline. But man, this is a marriage where they were walking down the aisle, and the Cavs, and everybody was like, how long do you give it? I don't know. Six months, and you know what? They nailed it. Yes, uh, rhyme music.
4: So, someone like B-line, I you could say his comp would almost be like a Coach K. Now, obviously, Coach K has accomplished even more than someone like a B-line. Everyone's always wondering if Coach K will make the next jump to the NBA, even given his age and how long he's been coaching. Do you think that would work, or what are the differences you see between a B-line and a Coach K?
5: A uh, couple things. Actually, I think Coach K is um, a little at times a little tougher to play for than B-Line. B-Line's demanding, but K can be demanding and kind of verbally get after you a little bit more in terms of challenging guys. And I don't know how that goes over in the NBA. The difference is K has the cachet of having coached Team USA, and so that gives him, you know, that give, that gives him a shot. That gives him an opportunity. To 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 relate to guys, the, the first thing is, no one was winning with the Cleveland Cavaliers this year. Okay, no one was winning. It's a bad team. They're in transition. They have pieces that they don't want that other people don't want as well. So, one of the reasons that for a long time college coaches have done so poorly in the NBA is they didn't get good jobs. I right? Billy Donovan's been the coach of, of Oklahoma City for a while now. And while he hasn't done great this year, especially he's done a very good job, but Billy did not take over a bottom rung team. Remember he was almost the coach of the Orlando magic. And that was a team that had a chance and eventually went to the NBA finals. Like there's lots of opportunities out there. Um, But if you, if you get a good team, you're going to be better off. So the first thing is, I think Kay, that's kind of, he would never get, I don't think he's going to do it, but if he ever did it, it would be with an elite team with elite players. It's a completely different sport when that has, happens. Um, I don't think he's nearly the offensive mind of a beeline, but I think Kay would hire other guys that would be that offensive mind. But I think he'd struggle to make it happen because, you know, at some point in time, your, your authority does get challenged. And no matter how many games you won in college, it's not pros. And if you want to say, I won with the Olympics, you'd like, all right, most everybody wins with the Olympics. You had the best players.
4: Does this say a lot about just making the jump from college to the NBA, or is this more a reflection of just how NBA players are today? Like, does this era make any difference compared to if they had tried to do this 10, 15, 20 years ago?
5: No. I mean, Jerry Tarkanian didn't last his first season and he was, he was different. So, I, I don't think eras change. I think you have to have a GM that fully supports you. And then if you have guys that don't like what you're doing, you trade them, you get them out of town. And if you're really going to turn over the culture, that's the way in which you have to do it.
2: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
5: Doug Olive show Fox Sports Radio. John Morosi. JP is a. Uh, a long-time insider for Major League Baseball, for Fox and the MLB Network. Um, when when Rob Manfred first gave the findings and the punishment, JP, w- what was your initial reaction?
11: Well, good afternoon, Doug. It really, I think the, the, the key thing here is the commissioner tried to get as much information as possible. He probably had to decide between, do I get the maximum amount of information or do I find a way to potentially penalize players and then have a grievance follow it, which I think was was one of the biggest things that he was dealing with. So I think overall, does it does it speak to what we believe is the full sense of justice that we would all like to have, where the players themselves are held, are held responsible? Uh, no, but I think that under the circumstances. He did about as good of a job as he could have done just to get all the information out there and then let the baseball public, the baseball world, the other players, the other teams, uh, draw conclusions and then I think uh, place whatever sort of asterisk they want to place culturally on what happened there for the Astros over those two seasons.
5: John Balmarosi joining us, MLB Insider for uh, the MLB Network and for Fox. It's Doug Gottlieb's show here on Fox Sports Radio. Um it was met with backlash. What's surprising to me is not that fans are mad. It's that other players are voicing their frustration. Can you remember any time in your years of covering the sport where players were calling out other players? I feel like that never happens in baseball, especially.
11: You're right, Doug. And it really is a pretty unprecedented response. It's something that we don't often see in baseball. It has caught me by surprise a little bit. And I think it also speaks to, Maybe the way that a lot of the penalty for the Astros players right now is is a social one. Baseball is a a, a relatively tight-knit family. Uh, I, I think certainly it's a global sport, but a lot of the players have shared experiences and you see it much more often now even than you did when I started covering the game. Conversations in the outfield during batting practice and behind the, the batting cage during batting practice. It, it is and it has become a very collegial sport. But that has not been the case right now and i think we're seeing a lot of players react in a pretty strong way that indicates that perhaps this sign stealing issue um if it was not unique to the astros and potentially the red sox that at least on this level it was not as widespread as you might have thought at the outset i think that if if this was something where a lot of teams were doing it, a majority of teams were doing it, and, and a lot of prominent players were involved in, in getting signs, uh, I, I think the reaction would have been more muted. And, and, Doug, to be totally candid with you, this is now something that, that I, as a Hall of Fame voter, I'm going I'm to have to reckon with here in the years to come. Um, if, if this is truly a relatively isolated case, uh, then I probably have to handle it differently, that the legacies of these players relative to if, if we were going to have revelations of half of the league or three-quarters of the league doing it right now. And, and to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not quite sure yet how I weigh all this out uh, with, with the candidacies of Beltron and, and even Verlander and, and Bregman and Altuve, uh, Correa, depending on how his career goes over the second half of it. This is a pretty substantial situation for the game to have to wait through as, as time goes on. And, and I really think, Doug, unfortunately for the sport, we are just in the early stages uh, of how we're going to reckon with this issue here for really uh, potentially a, a generation to come.
5: Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. That's the voice of John Paul Morosi, Major League Baseball insider for both the MLB network and for uh Fox Sports. Okay, so what now, right? Like now everybody's coming out with their knives. Now everybody's pointing out, but what what now? Can, can finally get this thing off the front pages.
11: Great question. Uh, well, we, 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 we will finally have some uh, Grapefruit League and Cactus League games here uh, this coming weekend which will be welcome, uh, uh, but at least the, the, the romance of the initial crack of the bat and pop of the, the catcher's mitt has, has not quite uh, quelled this from, from being uh, the, the dominant story of the day. Uh, it, it would help to have transformative and very positive seasons uh, by the best players in the sport, Mookie Betts in L.A. or, or Mike Trout with the Angels potentially as a, as a division rival to the Astros, which I think would be a pretty remarkable setting if, if, you, if you think about Mike Trout and, and how he could really become America's baseball superstar. He's in the very same division as, as the Astros are. And if the Angels can find a way to, to, to script the Cinderella run to, to a postseason berth, he probably would have the country behind him in a way that he hasn't had before because of just the antipathy that the Astros are going to face here over the coming season. So uh, to me, Doug, it's, it's a great question. It's one that baseball is going to have to reckon with. And, and I think this is now a test of where the game is. The one thing I, I could say is the game in and of itself is still, and we've talked about this before, it's stronger locally slash regionally than it is nationally from a standpoint of the interest level in superstar players. And so if you look at some of the teams that have emerged in the offseason as being very aggressive spenders, if the Yankees, with, with getting Garrett Cole, if they're off to a phenomenal start, there's going to be a lot of buzz in New York about that. If, if a team like the White Sox, who, who certainly made uh, some moves and is getting better, there could be some excitement around them. The Cincinnati Reds. So it localized, the game I think has a chance to, to bounce back in a pretty big way. But the reality is, Attendance now has been down for several years in a row, and and Doug, I think candidly, the the way that the off season has played out and the Astros scandal has not helped the enthusiasm nationally for the game. In that context,
5: it's great. It's a great point. It hasn't helped. Hasn't helped at all. All right. uh, Last thing, the the Yankees are the Yankees the favorite or the Dodgers the favorite.
11: Excellent question. I think the right now, certainly, the, the, the overall thought, Doug, is that, is that the uh, Yankees-Dodgers World Series is, is probably the, the, the chalk here. It's the most likely pick, uh, on, I think, on the part of a lot of prognosticators right now. To me, the, the team between the two that, that sets up the best, I believe, is the Yankees. And, and they have a tremendously deep bullpen. I believe it's an even deeper bullpen than what the Dodgers have. Uh, Mookie bets, though, such an incredible talent, uh, Dakota, the Los Angeles Dodgers. He is exactly what they needed uh, in in so many ways, and the notion of a a Betts and Bellinger in the same outfield is just incredible to think about. Uh, So I, I would give the slight edge to the Yankees because I think Cole was exactly what they needed, and their bullpen already, I believe, is better than what the Dodgers have. But it's going to be close. And, and the Dodgers are, are the class of the National League in a big way. Uh, I, I do think the NL Central is very much up for grabs. I, I really believe the Reds could be a surprise team. I love their rotation. And they've added some bats here, including Nicholas Castellanos this winter. But I think right now the Yankees, by a sliver, Uh, are my favorites right now to win the the, to win the world series over the dodgers but i think it it could be a great world series and hopefully doug for this for the sake of the game whether it's yankees dodgers or somebody else that we get a very compelling storyline there in october to to bring the game out of this malaise that we've had here this winter time
5: yeah i mean we do we do need games and then um I, i guess i said that was last thing you know last week it leaked out this possibility to change playoff format so far this year for the, the actual rules you have the you got a three batter limit, which is a massive change for uh three batter minimum, excuse me, which is a right. a big change for these these spot pitchers, these guys, lefties especially out of the bullpen for the lefty lefty matchup or whatever. Of course, end of an inning, you don't have to face three batters, but regardless, um, what was the reaction? I mean, I think so much of it's been overwhelmed by this Astro stuff. What are people saying about this playoff format idea?
11: Well, I think it's interesting, Doug. I mean, from my perspective, and you're right, it has sort of still been uh, page two of the baseball conversation because of the Astros situation. I, I am receptive to it, and I'm receptive to it, uh, and I think a lot of other people that are around the game, while it is a bit jarring in its, in its construct, the plain fact is this. Even if you had seven teams in each league in the, in the playoffs, you'd still have fewer playoff teams than what you have in the NBA or the NHL. And the players' union, while they may not be weighing in on it quite yet, the reality is that by adding four more playoff berths, two in each league, you expand the number of teams for whom it is reasonable and wise to, quote-unquote, go for it in a given year. And that means more spending. And, and a lot of it, Doug, is, is driven by the algorithms and the analytics and, and, and teams that calculate out, okay, it makes sense for us to spend this extra money in free agency because it's going to improve our chances of a playoff berth by X percent. It's it's all driven by the numbers. And if you have more playoff berths, that possibility of making the playoffs is, is more realistic, and you're going to be more apt to spend the money. So I think whether or not the players are voicing their universal acclaim for it right now, when we get right down to it, I believe the union's going to come out on the side of of liking this plan. The broadcast networks are going to like this plan. So while maybe some of the rank and file of people that follow the game aren't in love with it, the stakeholders will be. And I think ultimately we are going to see a playoff expansion, whether it's this version of it or a different end result. I believe that by 2022, Doug, that we're going to see more than five teams in each league in the playoffs.
5: JP Morosi, check him out on the MLB Network or on Fox Sports as we cover the World Series. And he covers this thing as well as anybody covers any sport in our country. Thanks so much, JP.
11: Doug, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for the kind words. We'll see how the maize and blue here in Ann Arbor. They, I, I think they're probably safely into the field of, of 68 there, but uh, some, some nervous times there during the middle part of the Big Ten schedule.
5: <laughs> if, 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 if they could trade coaches with the Cleveland Cavaliers, would people do it?
11: Uh, I, I, I thought you might ask that. I, uh, I, I tell you what, I think Jawan's done a great job, and I think certainly uh, based on the, the, the update that we heard a moment ago, I, I, I do think John, uh, I think John misses his time here in Ann Arbor.
5: Yeah, it's a pretty special place, and he really had it rolling. Thanks so much for joining us, John Paul.
2: Thanks, Doug. My pleasure. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
0: Terms and conditions apply. And now. <laughs> What's
5: up, This was Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp discussing Kawhi Leonard winning the Kobe Bryant All-Star Award.
12: I think it was all-time huge. And I think a lot of people are missing this story because Kawhi isn't one to gush over anything. Right. Mm-hmm. So he didn't fuel the post-game story the way others would have fueled it. But I thought it was amazingly and eerily fitting that Kawhi won the first annual Memorial Kobe Bryant All-Star MVP Award mm-hmm. because I can make a case that Kawhi was closer to Kobe than any current NBA player. I agree it, with that. It. It's a
10: close call and it's, Kyrie. it's close.
5: Um yeah, I look I think there's a lot of a lot of Kobe, some of Jordan, like one of the things that Jordan and Kobe both do did that Kawhi does is, you know, we're taught to shoot with a, a high amount of arch on your jump shot, arc or arch on your jump shot. And he doesn't shoot with a ton as he's extended his range. That was LeBron. I mean, that was, that was Kobe. And that was Jordan before that. Um, the idea of being fearless in who you're going to guard, when you're going to guard him, taking and making the big shot. The ability to score and that fadeaway scoring in the post, like yeah, there's a lot. It's so interesting that we many people thought LeBron would be the next Jordan, where Kobe was the kind of Jordan clone, and then Kawhi is the newest version of that type of player. You know, and and the the thing to come in last for LeBron, for Jordan, and for Kobe, and now for Kawhi is the passing. Kawhi was not a natural or nor a good passer, a willing passer, but. You know, push comes to shove, he'd shoot it. Now, some of their development's been different because he started as a center and a power forward and then had to develop his perimeter game as opposed to the opposite way around for Kobe and for Jordan. But, yeah, I, I don't think it's a crazy statement to make to say he's the game's current Kobe Bryant. And in many ways, and remember, Kobe wanted to be traded. Kobe didn't always, you know, get along with, in this case, his teammates. Uh, in his case, his teammates, but in Kawhi's case, it feels like management, especially when he was evaluated for his thigh injury when he goes back to San Antonio. But the the difference is that Kawhi followed through with his desire to be traded, and the Spurs did trade him, as opposed to the Lakers, who would not trade Kobe, and he re-signed with the Lakers, is one chance in free agency when he when he hinted at the thought of playing with the Clippers. But there's there's a lot of similarities there. It's not crazy. It's not well, rocket science to steal from the read anyway um you know this story i i I feel like this beeline story is uh, is really interesting because it's actually more par for the course than billy donovan who's lasted now more than half a decade uh brad stevens this is what used to happen this is what happened with Lon Kruger lasted, I think, two years in Atlanta, but two disastrous years. This is what what happened with Jerry Tarkane. He went to San Antonio Spurs. Um, John Calipari, right? This is more the norm, and the newer guys are more the exception. More the exception, and it should be pointed out that, like you know, Jerry Stackhouse is really struggling at uh, at Vanderbilt, and Juwan Howard. As much as we could say, I think he's doing a nice job. Keep in mind, when John Beeline was at Michigan, they were competing for the Big Ten title, the Big Ten tournament title, seemingly every year. And did he leave him a full boat of NBA players? No, but he had, you know, these are like four returning starters from last year. Yes, you lost Jordan Poole, but you have four returning starters in a sport where no one else has returners. Of course you'd look good early and they haven't been able to take that next step and been consistent in Big Ten play. So it, it almost works both ways. Where in you know, we, we the norm was college coaches struggle in the NBA, but also NBA coaches struggling in college. Yes, music, you want to add some?
4: Is it with the Brad Stevens and Billy Donovan thing, is there like an age factor there, whether it's a relatability to the players? No
5: i think age a little bit i think honestly it's more the i think it's more the organization okay you know cleveland is coming off of lebron where you know nobody wins right no one wins coming off lebron you have a really young general manager who was brought in when ty Lue was the coach you have an owner who has expectations different than what reality is And you have a head coach who's never done it before, didn't surround himself with good, with NBA people. And his general manager is, I think, the youngest in the sport. You look at Brad Stevens, he has one of the best general managers, if not the best general manager in the sport in Brad Stevens. And you could say the exact same thing about Billy Donovan. Have they made every perfect move? Like, no, but, but both teams were playoff, you know, when I, when the, when he took over with the, when Stevens took over with the Celtics, they were bad, but he had the full support of everybody and he got to slowly install his culture and, and build it his way. Whereas beeline, this is like a gap year. They're just trying to figure some stuff out, not trying to win. And that's, it's really hard when you come from college where every game does feel like it's important in terms of what your seating is or winning a league and guys become complacent with losing and they tune out any of, uh, of what they de- determined to be the noise of coaches when they're losing. And I'm sure beeline did what, what older coaches want to do, which is coach your way out of a losing streak. And it involves too much practice and guys leave their legs in the practice floor. And then they shut you out even worse. But this is more of the norm. This is what always used to happen when guys would leave college and go to the NBA Uh, The recent success of Billy Donovan and Brad Stevens has changed how we look at all of that stuff. All right, coming up next, this, this has been a tough little run for Rob Manfred. It's always amazing to me on how commissioners sometimes are viewed on individual decisions instead of the vast amount of decisions that they've made over their tenure. I'll tell you what went wrong with Rob Manfred and his punishment of the Houston Astros. We'll do that upcoming next on the Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio.
2: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
5: What up, Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Hope you're having a great day. The Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you today from New York City. Check me out on First Things First. Morning show, Fox Sports One. Just uh, up until Thursday, we continue to react to the mess that is Major League Baseball. You know, it's interesting. Like in in uh, in national sports radio, I've been doing this for 15 years. When I first started, I remember I I worked for a guy um, who now runs Westwood One Radio. His name's uh, Bruce Gilbert. He's a good friend of mine. He hired me. Hired Cowherd. Um, at about the, about the same time and he called me in after my first year and he was like you want good news or bad news I was like I don't know give me bad news first bad news is he's like coming out of basketball you got to know more about baseball baseball is really important this is at the height of Red Sox Yankees and I was like all right well then give me the good news like the good news is you never have to talk about hockey again like every piece of research tells us that Hockey, though popular with, with a smaller fan base, it, it's not a fan base that listens to National Sports Radio. Since that time, baseball has really become regional. It's very hard to discuss on National Sports Radio, but occasionally you get a topic that is, and this is just that topic. And and it's, it's not just because you have championships. It's also the idea of, a little bit like, Belichick and the Patriots taking technology and advancing in a step beyond what the rules say is, is legal. Um, You know, you have punishment, you have, you know, firings and you have how a commissioner handles things. And I think the parallel is for me, Rob Manfred, who's done many brilliant things while commissioner um, of Major League Baseball. And and I don't think that expanding the playoffs, I don't think that's a bait and switch. They're not trying to divert our attention. That's part of his plan for how to generate more money, more money from TV networks for their new TV deal. And it'll help him in negotiation with the collective bargaining agreement with the players. But in this particular case, he has been very out in front, very open, fully transparent. And yet sometimes when you're transparent it shows your own inadequacies here's rob manfred on what he told espn about investigating the astros and giving players
3: immunity the single biggest challenge in the investigation you need someone to cooperate with you um is someone to give you factual information and um the challenge here is everybody who knew the real facts about what were going on were kind of within that cone of silence in the dugout and the clubhouse. In hindsight, was there any other way to go about this without blanket immunity that would allow you to punish certain players? You could have made the choice to go with the management people and sort of given them immunity and found out how the players were involved. Whatever dissatisfaction, is out there with the grant of immunity to players i think it would have been 10 times worse if you let the management people off and then tried to go after the players
5: i don't know why you have to let the management why do you have to let anybody off Why right? do you have to let somebody off in order to give them immunity or to get your information they're going to be silent you had the information it wasn't you wanted you wanted more all right that's fair totally fair that you wanted more absolutely not in any way unreasonable, but it's also fair to point out. And I think frankly smart to point out, but fair to point out that while, um, while you don't want uh, you don't want to, to have any missing elements to it, you want to be as thorough as possible there are threats that can be made. Hey, look, we have some information. We're willing to give you partial or full immunity to individual, but to just blanket the immunity to all of the different players, he didn't have to do that. And maybe it's because he knows where the bodies are buried. He knows the secrets. He knows how lockstep all these players became. But man, I just don't, I just don't agree with him. I really do not. And I think it's fascinating that so many people have pointed out just how short they came up. This is, and I, I understand the crimes are very, very different, but, but this reminds me of when Roger Goodell, who I'm like the only guy to tell you, I think Roger Goodell's actually done a hell of a job as commissioner. His job is to make more money to spread the game. And he's done an incredible job, but Goodell mishandled the Ray Rice deal, man. He just did I don't think he realized the, the the pushback he'd get just like Rob Manfred didn't realize the pushback he get don't believe me Mike trout has offered nothing in terms of opinion ever in his baseball career here's trout on his thoughts and the players not getting any punishment
0: I don't agree with uh, the punishments you know the players not uh you know getting anything you know there was a player driven you know thing it sucks too because Like you said, a guy's career has been affected. Uh, A lot of people, you know, lost jobs. It's, it's, uh, it was tough.
5: Yeah. I don't think a lot of people lost jobs, but some guys have lost jobs. Here's Justin Turner plays for the Dodgers. There was a comment as part of that interview where he said, you know what? We take back a piece of metal and does that really do anything? Here's Justin Turner of the Dodgers on that piece of metal comment
4: for him to devalue it the way he did yesterday. Is is just tells me how out of touch he is with, with the players in this game
2: and you know, at this point the only thing devaluing that trophy is that it says commissioner on
5: it. Yikes. Yeah, I don't I I I again I like I think that comment is unfair. Like now we've gotten to the point point of almost being completely and totally ridiculous in terms of how we how we treat Rob Manfred. Right? <laughs> how we treat Rob Banford as a commissioner. It's like yeah. Let's not call him a joke. Let's not, let's not do the finger pointing. Let's not act like he's the bad guy here. He's not. He's not the bad guy. He didn't do this. This was simply, this was all done by, by the Houston Astros. Period. End of story. No one else is responsible for it other than the Houston Astros. Has he come up a little short? Yes. And if you look at the, grand, the bigger context of piece of metal deal, He was talking about the symbolic nature, like what does it really do symbolically if we take back a trophy or if we put an asterisk? I actually think that's perfect. I think being symbolic is important. I actually think that's what baseball is about with the Hall of Fame. We all know Pete Rose should be a Hall of Famer, but he's not getting in. Why? Because it's symbolic of the crime that he committed. Symbolic. And his punishment is as well. Yeah, right, Ryan.
4: Isn't that exactly what part of the problem has been with Rob Manfred? Is sort of the PR aspect of comments like referring to the trophy as just a piece of metal. Like I I agree with you. It's I don't think Rob Manfred, someone who's you know making his professional living, thinks so poorly of the actual trophy and its meaning that he meant that very literally. But isn't that part of where the frustration comes from the players? Is like, dude, you're you're not even giving any of us the respect that we feel they deserve, and you're letting these guys just walk. And now you're going to go so far as to go above and beyond to protect them from being thrown at because you know how in the wrong they are. And it's like you're taking everything out of everyone else's hands and doing your best to protect the ones who are who actually broke all the rules.
5: Yeah, no, I I that one, I'm sure that one really hurts him. Really, really hurts the players. I, I, I agree with you. And I understand the, the, you know, the conundrum, if you will, if you're, if you're Manfred. Like now you're left protecting guys who committed the initial crime. It's a little bit like when we have these uh, guys that are, you know, kill somebody and you put a bulletproof vest on them. You're like, wait, why are we protecting the guy who just murdered somebody from other people who want to get after him? That is generally the job of those who are in charge. From vigilante justice but i i think we're taking this we're taking something that is not a criminal not no one is going to die over it and we're we're you're he's being overprotective, like you said uh of of the guys that did something wrong to begin with the whole thing is fascinating to me i just don't know how it ends up until the regular season and then once the regular season starts it's gonna There's going to be moments where somebody takes it into his own hands. And then how does Manfred handle it? He's going to have to come out and make continued statements. And he's going to have to probably be heavy handed with his suspensions, even though he wasn't heavy handed with them. And they'll say, look, we'll offer up all the information you want if you give us full immunity. Coming up next, are the Patriots and Tom Brady headed for a breakup?
2: Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
5: The first thing that goes in a relationship, right? It's like the old guy always says, you know, the mind's the second thing to go. I can't remember what the first is, right? In other words, the memory's the first thing to go. The first thing to go in a relationship is communication. I. Yes, yes, there are other things that can go, but the first thing to go is communication. Like you want to know when relationships end is when talking stops. So you're still talking, you're still, you know, whether it's going to counseling or not, or just discussing your problems. When you stop talking to a friend, like I just, I'm just done, I just stopped talking. That's when that relationship is coming to a close. And I believe the same is true. For Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. Mike Reese is a longtime Patriots insider. He reported there have been no movement or contract talks or any sort of talks between Tom Brady and the Patriots. Now, you, could you take this as Brady drawn a, Brady just trying to be the tough guy, walking out of the dealership, going and getting better offers like the supposed $60 million from the Raiders? Maybe. But there have been enough rumors. There have been enough of them where you can stop and say, hey, you know what? I don't know. Sure feels like they should be having at least a... There may be a moratorium on contract talks, but continued discussion. And there hasn't been any. And because of that, I'm starting to buy into maybe this relationship is over. I mean, you guys aren't talking. Like, if I'm the Patriots and I... Like the whole Patriot Way thing of of not paying guys top dollar, and that's fine. If you have a long, your longest tendered Patriot, he's your quarterback. You want him back. You just want him back at your price. You keep talking to him. Listen, here's what we're going to do in free agency. This is who we're looking to get after. This is about the price. We just want you to know that way you know you're uh, you're our guy. But there aren't conversations happening, and when you don't have conversations happening that's when I believe that the relationship is, you know? Anyway. Yes, Ryan.
4: Doug, you've been married a very long time. Um, I'm curious if this is what's at play. Have you ever done something that you know has upset your wife and you've done the whole, "Ah, I got to wait this one out just because you know, right in the moment, If you try and go and make it better, even if you're just apologizing, you know you're making it worse, is it possible that Belichick and Robert Kraft know Brady so well that they're like, you know what, if we keep coming at him so far in advance of free agency, we're going to push him further away. Instead, let's just wait until free agency gets a little bit closer, maybe a week before or so and then we can sort of pick things back up again instead of trying to be too much too soon right now.
5: Yeah, yeah, I mean you're you're talking about the old and I, I can't use a dating analogy cuz I'm not a dater, right? But the old dating like don't call right away, don't call every day, don't don't overwhelm them, you know. Um so maybe it's a hey, let's just let it, it let's just let it breathe for a second. They know we we want them back. Right. Let's just got to let it go for a little
4: bit. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, part of that could be because, you know, a lot of the reports that we've talked about on this show is, and this is from uh, Tom Curran of NBC Sports in Boston. You know, he said, is part of it money with Brady? Like, yes, part of it's money, but it's also a lot of it's about the supporting cast and how over the past couple seasons, he's felt like they haven't done enough to give him the offensive weapons that he needs to have a uh, have a lot of success on the offensive side of the ball, especially given his age. So maybe for the Patriots, they're like, look, we, we have some ideas that we're working towards getting him more playmakers, but if we know that that's what he's looking for and we can't give him answers yet, why are we going to be trying to put ourselves out there and bother him? Because we're going to come to him with, hey... We, you know, we're looking at this many years for this amount of money. We're looking at this. We're looking at that. And Brady's I think, gonna, I
5: think that's already happened, though. By the way,
4: the contract parameters. Yeah,
5: yeah they've already they've already made at least some sort of. Here is what we're thinking.
4: Okay. Right. But I, I do think that the the my other point about how you know they they may, they may not be coming to Brady right now because they don't have anything to offer. And Brady's like, I need more playmakers, and I don't think they necessarily have those realistic options yet. I think they have ideas. But they haven't gotten close enough to free agency to be like, hey, we're definitely gonna try and land these people. You know, and we've even talked about potential trade partners. So perhaps the Patriots are trying to get everything lined up to then come at him right before free agency, and be like, hey, here's our hard plan that we're pursuing. Are you in or are you out?
5: Yeah, no, listen, that would be a smart way to do it. I'm not denying it all. That would be smart. Have all your ducks in a row. You still have your exclusive uh you still have your exclusive window as to when you can negotiate before anybody else can, like all of that makes a, a complete ton of sense. I would also, you know, caution people and just go like, all right, just cause it makes sense. Doesn't mean it'll actually happen. You have to execute those things. And Tom Brady has to be willing to not go to free agency. You know, does he want to become, that's the big thing that we don't really know. Does he, will he legitimately walk out the door? Will he do it? That's the question. And I don't know the answer to that. I don't know anybody who does know the answer to that. Do you?
4: I don't think anyone does. When we had Rosillo on, I think that was last week, Ryan Rosillo, he was like, this reminds me a lot of the Kawhi Leonard free agency situation where you're getting a lot of reports and people who claim to think that they know for sure what exactly is happening. But with someone as high profile and keeps as tight of a circle as Kawhi Leonard or Tom Brady it's really difficult for people to actually think that they know exactly what's happening, just convincing themselves that they have some sort of source in the situation who may have insight on the situation. It's not really the case.
5: Yeah, no, I know. It's, it's really, really confusing and very difficult to understand uh, to, to understand what actually is. I, you know, I've talked to people and they've said everyone they've talked to with Brady has some different idea out of what he wants to do and what he should do, which probably means that he doesn't actually know. But there is a growing sense that he's willing to lead the Patriots. But we again that that we don't know until it actually happens.
2: Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at three p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific.
5: Let's get to Rick Buecher, who's covered the NBA for years. You saw you see him on Speak for Yourself as well as the rest of our TV shows on Fox Sports One. Reed's work in the Bleacher in Bleacher Report. Um, people are going a little crazy on the All Star Game. Like it was good. It was just better. Part of it was the All Star Game has been so bad that that fourth quarter felt a lot better how much of it was the ending how much of it was kobe how much of it is guys you know fighting for kind of uh stardom um give me your sense of why that fourth quarter was better than than previous years
12: well one yes it's it was just it's been so bad that that was finally something that was good now it was really good and it was surprisingly good and we didn't know what we were going to get. So I think just the the element of surprise that guys went after it the way that they did in that fourth quarter uh, caught everybody off guard and pleasantly pleasantly so. I believe that the unifying, overarching uh, presence of Kobe and the collective sorrow and mourning uh, of him not being there and searching for ways to authentically and uh pay homage to him were uh was also a a contributing factor but honestly as much if you look at the first three quarters everybody's making a big deal about the game as a whole the first three quarters were better but the first half certainly wasn't all that different from previous ones There was a little more competition because obviously there was, you were playing to win that quarter. So it was a little bit better than it, than it's been, but not significantly. So end of the third quarter, it was somebody wanted an edge going into the fourth quarter. And I think that's when it started to ramp up. And then the fourth quarter was just was terrific, but it was, um, it was a dramatically different type of basketball. Um, You know, it, we weren't just jacking threes and we weren't just going uncontested to the rim. It, It kind of went old school. And I think it, It caught the referees, the league, the players, everyone by surprise, the fans, everyone by surprise, and everybody got caught up into it. And so whether they can sustain it or not, whether it will be the same next year, uh, I'm certainly they will will try the same format again. Whether they will capture the same spirit, I, I think the same format will create more competition. Will it be the way it was this year? That I am going to need to see.
5: Uh, who's the best player? Kyle Leonard is the best player. Agreed. Agreed.
12: And, 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 and this was, that's what I loved about it. Uh, this is what I love about this. And it's the same as when you, when you play pickup, you find out who's really respected and who's not. Because, and, and who you're looking to get the ball to with the game on the line. Who you're going to set screens for, who you're going to get the ball to, who you're going to defer to, who you're looking to take, who, who, you, who you're not going to, have an issue with if they take a contested shot with the game on the line, and I thought it was just it was very revealing in a multitude of ways. And um, Joel Embiid, not afraid to try to go get it, is not ready, really equipped to go get it quite yet. Pascal Siakam, same thing. Um, you know the difference. As I looked at the final, you know, the, the fa- final minutes, I was like, LeBron's team's going to win because. The, because Giannis' team, and this was the fatal flaw in how he picked it, had no go-to guys. But I think with the, the other thing that we learned here was, for all the hoopla around James Harden, there are no go-to guys like we saw in Kobe Bryant. There's nobody you hand the ball to, and they just you know that they are going to go get a shot. And more often than not, they're going to make that shot. We had guys who are MVPs and superstars, so-called superstars, who were unable to create a shot for themselves. And you can tell me about double-teaming and triple-teaming. The good ones see the double coming, and they beat it, or they get the shot early, or they make their move early. That was not the case in the fourth quarter. I thought, that, I thought we, it was very revealing, the departure of uh, or the absence of guys that you could hand the ball to and could beat you in a one-on-one situation.
5: Yep, yep. I I think it's fa- interesting. James Harden turned down what would have been a game-winning layup to kick out the yes. ball. And I mean, and multitude opportunities where they clearly they were giving the ball to
12: James and wanted him to go get something, and he uh, kind of probed a little bit and then gave it up. I I I've seen this at various times with James, and I've always thought you know maybe he's not. Feeling well. Maybe it was a rough night the night before. Who knows what it is? But there is an element to James where sometimes he goes for it and sometimes he does not. And I was shocked in this instance that this was the, all the, the, the other all stars are saying, You're our guy. Go get it. And he's like, eh, You know, maybe tomorrow. I, I was I as I was surprised by that as anybody. That was the one guy I thought, He's the guy. He's the guy who's going to go get this. And then we had the LeBron moment, which James revealed. I don't know if you heard about this or talked about it, but you know, the, the, the LeBron James shot from 40 feet yeah. at one point.
5: Yeah, where LeBron just tried to win it on his own, right? That, that's the guy in pickup, yeah. up like, I'm, I'm done with this. I just <laughs> got to try and win this on my own.
12: And the thing was is that LeBron, like, drew up a play or something. They were supposed to do something else, and then he walked out there and just decided to, to hoist one. That is the LeBron James spirit experience. That is the good and the bad of LeBron James. He's great enough to make that shot, but you never know when he's going to change up the, the, the program on you, and you have to be the kind of vet, you have to be the kind of player who can roll with those punches.
5: No question about it. Uh, okay, what, what, what's led John Beeline to, it's one thing to go a year and go like, you know, this is not for me. But to go a half year and want to bail, what, what's this all about?
12: Uh, it's got to be looking for what. what where, where am I going next? Like if you're if you're going to go after another job, or you want to continue to coach, and you realize this is not this is not it. And if you're, and you're going back to college in particular, you can't wait until you can't wait until July. Yeah, I mean, you can't wait until the end of the, the NBA season. You you got to make that move now. So that you have an opportunity to go elsewhere, and I don't know where else he's looking, but that's what this smacks of for me. Is uh, you know what the NBA is not for me. Uh, I need. To, I'm going to go back to college, and and so let let me go now so that I have an opportunity of landing a decent job next season.
5: Yeah, it's fascinating how quick. Who replaces him? Bernie Bickerstaff's son replaced him.
12: Yeah, I mean
5: JB, poor
12: JB. <laughs> how many situations? he's a good guy i think he's a good coach and he's always just like handed the car keys after somebody's running into a tree
5: yeah here's my car it's got a bunch of miles on it it needs gas it needs
12: oil yeah Yeah. Um, you you need to change the tires i don't know if it's going to get you home yeah but could you see if could you see if you could just you know make it make it home and then people are like damn you're just you're not a very good driver are you you don't go very fast like what do you do what are you handing me
5: crazy craziness uh rick buecher our guest on the doug gottlieb sean fox why would why would um the lakers and specifically frank vogel say something about demarcus cousins coming back
12: the only explanation to be is they stood pat and they want something that's going to fire up the troops to say we have a reason to believe that we're going to counter the clippers getting marcus morris the other the other side added something. We, all, we ultimately decided to stand pat. Uh, I believe they, they misplayed their hand on, uh, on getting Marcus Morris. That oh. they, you know, that they thought that the Steve Ballmer, Jim Dolan, uh, legal battle over the arena situation in LA was going to prevent the Knicks from ever trading Marcus to the Clippers and that they were, they were going to be the last house on the block. But now, as it stands, you don't get Darren Collison. Made a big show of that. Uh, You were in the running. You were talking about trying to get Marcus Morris. Uh, You know, J.R. Smith. I mean, the the buyout market is not looking like it's going to do anything for you. So we we need some reason for people to believe that we have uh, additional troops on the way.
5: Hmm. Who do you think is the favorite, Clippers or Lakers?
12: Clippers have been my pick from the beginning of the year and they continue to be Sim- simply, for this, I just believe that their margin of error is greater. Do I have some concerns about the Clippers? Yes, I do. But I, I, my, my question is not how the Lakers are playing. I think they've played markedly well, uh, amazingly well. I think they're getting some effort from some, from, from, from guys in various ways that is just enough. But I, I I saw Danny Green in the playoffs last year. I don't know how much Danny Green is going to be able to do in these playoffs. Avery Bradley has given you uh, what's he going to be able to, to do in playoff matchups. I just I feel like there's a way to make the game hard on the Lakers and make a D and LeBron carry a tremendous amount of weight and expose some of the other guys and the Clippers are just harder to do that with especially if they if they get enough games under their belt where they get everybody out on the floor and they figure out exactly the rotation that they want to go with I, it's it's defensively they can lock down they can put five guys on the floor that are two-way legitimate two-way players threats uh, on, on offensively and can defend their position and even switch defensively and I, that's that to me is the recipe for winning championships in today's game
5: Rick Bucher our guest on the Doug Gottlieb show on Fox Sports Radio Um, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid both had nice things to say believing that they could work if it doesn't are one of them traded or do they change coaches first
12: that's a fair question and I don't know changing coaches seems to be the fait accompli whether they do both is is the real question because, uh, and that, it comes down to the philosophy of the Sixers, which I honestly, I don't know. I don't know if they look at this and they're putting it all on Brett Brown, that he hasn't figured out how to utilize these two guys. I think if the Sixers are looking at it that way, they're being naive. To me, the combination, you just can't get the best out of both of them at the same time. They're not complementary players. If you're going to get the best out of Ben Simmons, then Joel Embiid has to play the Brooke Lopez role uh, to, to, uh, that he does to Giannis. And if you're going to go the other way, then, uh, you know, then Ben's going to be limited because he's not a floor spacer at that point guard position. I said it before, I don't know if I've said it on your show, but I, I think the, the mistake is calling Ben Simmons a point guard. I think he's a point forward. I think you, you use him the way you use Kawhi or you use Giannis. You can play through them a lot, but you're generally going to play through them more often below the free throw line, not above it. And if you put and Simmons consistently below the free throw line, if you use him in that, mid, in that pinch post, then now he's in his sweet spot and he can do a lot of things. He can be very dangerous. But if you use him as a, as a, as a traditional Type point guard on the floor and then posting up Embiid and using him below the free throw line. Ben's just going to be limited because he has no jump shot.
5: Yeah, there's just no space to operate, right? He becomes a clogger. Yeah. He becomes he becomes yeah. a liability instead of an asset. That's really, you, that's really whatever.
12: Absolutely, you can lay off of him all day you all you want, and it's not like um, this goes back to like Zaza Pachulia. I was having this argument with people when he was starting with the Warriors. Now, like he's terrible. They should play. JaVale McGee, and it's like sometimes it's about not even how many of the shots you make, but when you, you take them when they're there and they're supposed to be taken. Ben doesn't even take 18, 19-footers, even though the situation demands that he does. And if he takes it and he takes it in rhythm, guys crash the boards or they look for the rebound, anticipating that the ball's going to go up when it's supposed to go up. He doesn't do that. And the number of times where they get squeezed on the clock, because he gets to a certain place on the floor and he does not want to shoot and now you gotta bail you know, find a bailout option. That happens more often than people recognize. And that is that's going to hinder this team. There's no way around that. You can't have wasted possessions like that.
5: Awesome stuff. Rick Bucher, Bleacher Report, Fox Sports One. Buke, great stuff. Thanks for joining us. You got it, Doug. All right, pleasure's all mine. Rick Bucher joins us. Check out any of the interviews we've had on the Doug Gottlieb Show podcast, which is up usually shortly thereafter this show concludes. All right, we'll get to the press. All of the stories you need from the world of sports, all kind of, almost like a newspaper, but it only takes you about five minutes. It's next.
2: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. The press.
10: Ralph Irvin, what do you got, Ralph? Well, we'll start with uh, some talk from the NFL where ESPN's Jeremy Fowler says Teddy Bridgewater is expected to have a, quote, strong market, end quote, in free agency and could land a multi year deal paying around $30 million a year. Wow, that's a lot of money for Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I thought he was good, not great, in
5: filling in for Drew Brees. And the fact that they prefer uh Taysom hill over him may give some people myself included some pause uh i'm i'm interested i like to everybody likes teddy bridgewater the team that no one's talking about is the carolina panthers joe brady was with the saints two years ago that's when bridgewater was was still there i think they're moving on from cam newton I, I think that would make a whole lot of sense
10: I would agree. The NFL teams, uh, they're sensing blood in the water with the Vikings. Jason Locke and Fur of CBS Sports saying that uh, Mike Zimmer and general manager Rick Spielman are perceived by their peers to be on the hot seat, and it's going to be impossible for Minnesota to keep their roster together in the coming year. Teams are sniffing for trades. Players like tight end Kyle Rudolph, defensive tackle Linval Joseph, even Everson Griffin will probably opt out of his deal and all be looking to go elsewhere.
5: Hmm. Fast days. so close, and yet they got better offensively. Injuries two years ago, and this this year just not good enough. That's really kind of what it comes down.
10: Well, and you think Uh, about the first two stories. Just think if Teddy Bridgewater had stayed healthy, or they had decided to stick with him when he came back.
5: Yeah, but he couldn't. I mean, he couldn't play. You know, physically couldn't play. It's like we're looking at it through a. I mean, remember, and this is they had Sam Bradford whose knee was so bad he played one game and then shut it down. So. I get it. I just don't think it's, I don't think it's, it, it, it it could have happened at all. And, and Bridgewater, like let's, I think everybody likes him. Is everybody sold that he's a franchise changing quarterback? The answer is no. If New Orleans thought he was great, they wouldn't be talking so nicely about Taysom Hill.
10: The NFL and the NFL PA working towards a new collective bargaining agreement. They're doing it, trying to get it done quickly. In advance of new TV deals, according to the Wall Street Journal, they want to get a labor agreement in place. So the league can turn to extending their contracts before their bargaining position might be weakened by an expected ratings dip this fall with a presidential election or a potential economic downturn. Hmm,
5: they want to get that done quicker rather than later,
10: huh? Yep. While the market's up? Well, the market's up. And again, they know that it's going to go down because attention's going to go elsewhere in uh, October and November. So. Let's get those uh, th- those deals cranked. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. What else you got? Tim Tebow uh, had some communication with the XFL, but decided to stick with baseball. He said that, uh, quote, we had a couple conversations. It was a pretty clear that it was, I love what they're doing. I think it's a has a chance for success, and I think it's great. But he continues, but for me, this is what I wanted to do and pursue it and be all in. And so, yeah, I stay with baseball.
5: Yeah, I think football's over for him. But he had a great run, and he's one of those guys that, like, I'm sure people will look back and say Tim T was a one-hit wonder, but that's one hit that most everybody would, would trade for if they could.
10: Well, and it had to be he been willing to accept a Taysom Hill role or somebody create that. He might have still been active and wanted it at this point.
5: Yep. I don't think he is Taysom Hill as an athlete or as a thrower, which is kind of interesting to say. Um, but, yes, you're right, had he— and he wanted that for his life, he probably could still be in the NFL. Uh,
10: Anthony Rendon says the Nationals were tipped off on the Astros' sign-stealing scandal prior to the 2019 World Series. Of course, he's a Houston native, and so his feelings on the Astros, not as harsh as a lot of others, just saying, you know, you people may forgive, but they're not going to forget. And, uh, you, you know, everyone's got to look themselves in the mirror, them, Astros included.
5: That sounds like a guy that... that- that, that he's concerned somebody else has got some stuff on him. That's honestly what it sounds like.
10: Well, but it's also, I mean, that's his hometown, and so I don't think he wants to completely trash them because ultimately every player would love to play professionally in their hometown. You don't want to trash the Astros organization when someday you might want to return there. Yeah, I think there's a difference between trashing it and being honest, right? Yeah. Uh, you were talking about uh, Joel Embiid and... Uh, Ben Simmons, well, Joel Embiid says it's all a bunch of nonsense. There's not been a problem with us until this year, and that's because the offense struggled, and it's going to be better after the All-Star break.
5: I guess we'll see. Joel Embiid, nothing you know, nothing to see here, but it wasn't good. I still think there's time. Remember, they were one crazy shot away from beating the Toronto Raptors or sending that game to overtime, Game 7 on the road. But I, I'm not convinced... I just don't. I never liked the Al Horford thing. I didn't get that one. And it's turned out that he's now has to come off the bench because they just have too many big guys.
2: Hey, get out there and press. That was the press.
5: All right. So, speaking of Jason Lockin' for it, he'll join us tomorrow and we'll get a better lay of the land on all these quarterbacks and free agency and what's going on. Uh, You can check out me on the TV side, first things first, tomorrow. Or if you missed the podcast, download the Doug Gottlieb Show podcast